1: Welcome to Continuous Play's romantic comedy retrospective, Sex and the City, featuring Anna McCoy. Yes, I can check that off my list of things to do. And Jay Newcastle. Oh, come on! We'll review the plot, talk about the themes, and give you our recommendation for further viewing. ContinuousPlayPodcast.com and Continuous Play are not affiliated with any movie, television, book, music, or publishing related company. All properties are copyright and trademark of their respective owners. All rights are reserved.
0: Welcome into Continuous Play Podcast, romantic comedy retrospective series. We're in our last episode, and it's time for one of Anna's favorite films, the 2008 blockbuster Sex in the City, the movie that uh, was spawned from the hit television show, the HBO comedy series of the same name, brings back Sarah Jessica Parker, Kim Cattrall, Kristen Davis, Cynthia Nixon, Chris Noth, even Jennifer Hudson and Candace Bergen get into the uh, the actions directed by Michael Patrick King. And this thing was a, was a massive hit on television. It, it's grossed over $400 million worldwide, and they got a sequel to it coming out later in 2010 and i know this is one of your favorite series it's one of your favorite films.
2: it is i love it i love the series i love the film i'm looking forward to sex and city 2 coming out and i can't wait
0: when we were talking about putting together the romantic comedy retrospective, and as as we've said before, we decided we're going to do four films. What four are we going to pick? You know, we went with Pretty Woman because that's obvious. While you were sleeping, because you got to have a Sandra Bullock. We did Runaway Bride last time because we had to go with where it goes wrong, even with the right you know kind of actors. And then this was the more modern version. Of, and, and we should say this about. Um, modern romantic comedy sex in the city is is a microcosm of what a lot of them have become now instead of being star vehicles for one or two people the modern romantic comedy is an ensemble it's a story about a lot of things going on at once and it asks the audience to keep up with a lot at the same time
2: yes it does and i think that sex in the city has the right idea where you just follow four people versus some movies like the one that just came out Valentine's Day, where you're following 15, 16, 20 people. Yeah. I think I think if you go much over four, you're it, it. just the whole movie just falls apart. But I think that three or four is a good number, and you can follow them, and they all need to be central and connected in some way.
0: I agree, and and because we said I, we should say this from the get go here. Now, Anna, you were a big fan of the TV series, right? And I am. Fa- followed it all the way through.
2: Yes, and I have every single episode on DVD.
0: Okay, so you own the whole bit. I will and say I this.
2: I own the trivia
0: book.
2: <laughs> I own the trivia game, and I own the Sex in the City coffee table book that Kiss
0: and Fail. So, and folks, if, if you want to send us gifts at continuousplaypodcast.com, po- uh, you know what to get Anna now. I will say this now. I knew as much about Sex in the City as is just meta knowledge in pop culture. All right? I knew. The name Carrie Bradshaw, which is Sarah Jessica Parker's character. I had heard stories about Samantha, which is Kim Cattrall. I knew Kristen Davis and Cynthia Nixon from other things. Uh, uh, Charlotte is Kristen Davis, Miranda is Cynthia Nixon. And, of course, Chris Noth to me will always be Detective Mike Logan from Law and Order and Law and Order Criminal Intent. Uh, and so i knew them from other things i knew i had never seen an episode of the show I, i'd seen pieces of it here and there and what i had seen was on cable i saw like what tbs has put out now in syndication so as i've been told i haven't really seen the show because this is an hbo show and it's rated r for a reason and and we'll get to that in a little bit but it's it, i knew nothing about this going into it okay so i'm the newbie here and because i'm the newbie it wouldn't be fair for me to do the plot summary. So I'm going to turn it over to Anna, uh, our loyal co-host here. The floor is yours. Please give us a plot summary for Sex in the City.
2: Well, thank you. I've been waiting on this all day. (laughs) Um, Okay, so I'm not going to go into anything about the series until after the plot summary. I'm just going to summarize the movie just in case you are like Jane, you know nothing about the series. So... Basically, the story we pick up right where the series left off, but it's three years later and our characters are basically right where we left on Miranda is still living in Brooklyn with her son and husband. Charlotte, and her husband, are raising their daughter, Lily, which they adopted from China because they're reproductively challenged. And Samantha, has our oversexed cougar, has moved to L.A. from New York to be with her boy toy, Smith Jared, and manage his career. And then finally, we catch up with Carrie and Big. And they are looking for an apartment where they can live together and build a life. And eventually, that leads to a marriage proposal. So now we're in wedding mode. Carrie Bradshaw is in wedding mode and there are a bunch of different storylines going on here and they all kind of center around Carrie and Big. At first Carrie is planning this very small intimate stylish wedding and she kind of gets input from Charlotte and Charlotte's um, wedding planner Anthony who's very lovely and she she, the wedding kind of gets out of control. She's, She gets she gets um, invited She gets invited to do the Vogue age issue for 40 as the last single girl. And she's in all these couture wedding gowns by Vera Wang and Carolina Herrera and Vivian Westwood. And Vivian Westwood winds up sending her the gown she does the shoot in for her own wedding. So this wedding just kind of gets real caught up as she becomes not really, but sort of a bridezilla. And in all this bridezilla she doesn't realize that Big has apprehensions about this wedding this is his third marriage you know i think he doesn't want another failed marriage he wonder he's wondering how he's going to look to his colleagues and his friends and stuff and so meanwhile in brooklyn miranda and steve are not having any sex because of her hectic schedule and they have a small child and that's putting a lot of pressure on their sex life and their marriage so steve decides to have a fling a one-time thing and he confesses it to Miranda, and she kicks him out. So during the rehearsal dinner for Carrie and Big's wedding, Big's apprehensions are not going away. He tries to voice his concerns to Carrie, but she kind of ignores him, just kind of thinking it's a typical case of cold feet. And Miranda doesn't help when Steve stops by to plead his case to her and she dismisses him then she turns to Big and says something to the effect that you're foolish to get married and this makes Big's apprehensions even worse. And on so on we're here at the wedding day and Carrie is so caught up in the wedding extravaganza she doesn't realize that Lily Charlotte's little daughter hit her phone And all the while, Big's been trying to call her to get some reassurance from Carrie that this is all going to work out. But Carrie never gets the call, so therefore, Big's fears are confirmed. So he leaves Carrie at the altar, literally, and never shows up for the wedding. Throughout the rest of the movie, Carrie's trying to pull her life back together. She goes on her honeymoon to Mexico with the girls, gets her old apartment back, and hires a new assistant who's played by Jennifer Hudson named Louise. Miranda is kind of on the same path. She's trying to get her life together, alternating between... Trying to alternate houses with her son and stuff. Um, she also is... She clearly still loves Steve, but she's too proud and too stubborn to take him back. And also during this time, she's trying to gain the courage to tell Carrie her her comments big at the rehearsal dinner. Could have been the reason he left her at the altar. And Samantha is out on the West Coast. She's um, supporting her boyfriend Smith with his television career. And she's trying to be monogamous, which is really hard for Samantha. She's just really this oversexed cougar or vixen or whatever you want to call her. And to deal with being monogamous, she gained a lot of weight. And those are her issues she's going with through the rest of the movie. And towards the end, Charlotte becomes pr- pregnant. She's afraid she might lose the baby. So in the end, Charlotte welcomes another baby girl. Samantha breaks it off with Smith and moves back to New York. And Miranda and Steve make up
0: and make another go
2: at it. Miranda and Carrie make up. And Big and Carrie get married. And we're done.
0: That was an excellent plot summary. Now, I want to say this for the uninitiated. Okay? Uh-huh. In this, uh, when, when I saw this film, you told me, look, uh, it, there's a little montage at the beginning, and I I thought immediately in my head, another montage. Um now that we've had one, we should change the name of this to Continuous Play Montage, because every film we reviewed has a montage in it. Um, yes. it. It really does. It's been the oddest coincidence. Every one of them does. But anyway, the, you said there's a little montage at the beginning that'll give you enough about the characters that you'll know what they are. And, and I've kind of told you what my, my meta-knowledge of them was, and I think I pretty well had it down as to who they were. I paused the movie after the first five minutes and I said, who are these people and what planet are they from? Because they're speaking a language I don't know. And my wife immediately informed me she's talking about designers, which I know nothing about designer clothes. So that was part of it. And I didn't get anything from the opener about who these people were, okay? I'm going to say this from the outset. If you have not seen the television show, I I won't say it's required, but I think you got to have somebody break it down for you a little bit so you get an idea of what you're walking into because this is a film built for fan service. If you hung in there with this show and then you go to see this movie, you're rewarded with, with a billion things in it that pay off from the show. All right? And you can tell that even not having seen the show. But if you haven't seen the show... There is there's a lot in the first 30 minutes that you're just scrambling to catch up and I think I told you I spent 30 or 40 minutes in this movie just trying I felt like I was taking a test I didn't study for you know there's so much going on that you just don't know about that well, being said ha- that being said that being said about it it's incredibly engaging from the get go because they don't waste any time with it they throw you right in the middle of it and they start you into the plot almost immediately with this thing.
2: If you've watched the show, you'll realize it's like a kind of shortened season. of The show was only 30 minutes. It wasn't an mm-hmm. hour. And it's kind of like a shortened season of the show. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like you're watching all your DVDs back to back to back to back. Is basically what it is.
0: I said it was directed by Michael Patrick King. He's a holdover from the show. Not only a director, but he wrote... Many of the seasons, and I think he's responsible for the season finales of this thing as well. So he's had a direct, this, this is like when Star Trek uh, The Next Generation started making movies. They would bring people on from the show to, to make it. So there's some continuity there between the two. And, and have, since having watched this film, I've gone back and seen a few episodes of the show and actually watched a couple of them online. And you can see a consistency to it. But I will say, this does not look like a television show on a movie screen. This thing looks like a movie. It is well shot. They spent $65 million on it. A bunch of that's in the cast, but they spent some money on production here, too. It looks good. It's a very good-looking film. So we, we got to start with the, the real story of this whole thing is Carrie and Big are, are, are looking at apartments together in New York and they find this one, and he buys it for... Now, I do have a question about him. Is he supposed to be like Donald Trump or something like that, but with better hair? Is that who he is? So.
2: Rumor is he's based on some editor at Vogue that Candace Bushnell, the writer of the book Sex in the City, mm-hmm. had a relationship with.
0: Okay, what does he do in, in the film? I never got his job...
2: Thing it's a holdover from the show, like you didn't learn. Uh, let me ask you a question. You watch yeah. the movie, his real name is given in the movie. What's his real name?
0: His real name is John. I can't, they, okay, they, they, so they, use, go, they use the whole name, but I can't remember it off the top of my yeah, head. Yeah,
2: it's John James Preston. Preston. okay, but anyway, um, they go through the whole six seasons of the show and until the last five seconds of the finale you don't figure out what his real name is he's constantly as big and he's always kind of been this ambiguous character like you don't really know where he gets his money like there's a point in the fourth season where he leaves new york and moves to napa to run a vineyard and he basically stays there for the rest of the show carrying him going back and forth sometimes for whatever reason but he So you, it's been this very ambiguous character and they've never said like, and it goes back to, I think this is a female driven vehicle show, everything, the fan base, everything is female driven. So the men, the male characters to me aren't as developed as the female, like Miranda is the lawyer. Samantha's the PR person. Charlotte at the very beginning was ran an art gallery and carries the writer, they're more defined. The men are a little more ambiguous, kind of. It's like, oh, he's rich and he's got money, but they don't really tell you how.
0: Okay. And
2: that, I, that's a holdover from the
0: show. Okay, I was going to say that later on. I I felt like that we know very little about the men in this series, and uh-huh. we're not supposed to, because this isn't about them. This is about right. these women, and I want to say this, too. I've read reviews of this show and of this uh, of the film that kind of knock the fact that uh, it portrays women as these, uh, you know, fashionista cougar, you know, women and stuff like that. But I want to tell you, be- beyond the- those character archetypes that they're playing, these are four career-driven, smart, funny women who have been I, – I take just from little things I caught in the film that they are lifelong friends. They've been friends since they were kids together in this city, and they've gone through a lot together. You figure they've gone through a lot together through – how about seven seasons of a te- – Six seasons six, of the show. Six seasons of a television show. So you figure they've gone through a lot together. These women have – and and they play it, and it's, it's – i'm gonna say it i thought it was really mature it was it was real i you know i complained to the last movie that no one in runaway bride felt real at all well mm-hmm. I, I i'm aware that these are actresses and actors playing roles but everybody feels they feel like they're they're their character like you can buy that these people are these people in this film it's easy to suspend disbelief with these characters and again i have no connection to them except you know what i know them from in other things and i I, I'm, I'm 30 minutes into this, and even though I'm behind, I'm bought into what's going on with them, and, and I'm, I'm buying into these relationships and these issues they're having. Big and, and Carrie are trying to buy an apartment. They decide to get married together, and he goes along with it, and there's this whole, should we have this big wedding? Should we have a small wedding? Her girlfriends are dealing with their own lives. I thought like Miranda and her husband's story was, was really neat. You know, th- they're two married people who just kind of pass each other in the night, you know, and... And they're trying to figure out what to do with each other. And just, there's so much cool stuff going on there. It, it it hooks you in real quick, even though you don't know anything about any of them. You know, at least I, I didn't know anything about them. I was hooked into it pretty quick.
2: Well, actually, as the person who's watched the show and everything, mm-hmm. I thought the, that's funny because I thought the Miranda storyline was the most contrived. Yeah, I, I thought it was. It was just like we had, and I guess you're right. I understand how Miranda feels. My husband and I both work, and we both have small children. And there comes a time where it's like we just want to get to bed. We're tired. So I can relate to Miranda. And actually, throughout the show, Miranda has been the character I relate to the most. She's cynical, kind of like me. And I relate to her. So I can relate to it. But I just felt it seemed out of character for Steve, for watching him from for six seasons because he's kind of stood by Miranda and he's kind of always been the person to kind of keep her from being so cynical and stuff. And I just, and with the way the finale ended and stuff, I just found that the most contrived, it was like, okay, we need some kind we we need something for Miranda and Steve. Oh, let's let them be unfaithful because they can't do anything because of her hectic schedule. And she's going to be too stubborn and proud to do it, which Miranda is stubborn and she is proud, but I just thought that was the most contrived. I thought they could have come up with something better. I'm not saying it doesn't work, but I just thought they could have come up with something better. What, I don't have an answer for, so.
0: Well, I'll I'll say this. As the outsider, the one person there that looked like they had nothing to do except smile and be nice to everyone was Charlotte, Kristen Davis.
2: Oh, yeah, she had no storyline what she like I said the only thing I said in the plot summary is that she had a baby and she was worried about losing it but I did notice the last time I was watching it when I was watching it at the gym and it kind of shows to me from watching the show kind of shows Charlotte's maturity is that she's kind of the rock she's kind of the mother in this thing she's the one who helps Carrie, She she does her little post-it thing like pink is take, purple's tossed, and yellow storage. That's
0: when she they're helping Carrie her- move out of the old apartment, right? Yeah, when so-
2: helping Carrie move out of the old apartment, she does she does that, and she's kind of and I, I mean she's kind of the mother the mother hen of the girls, and she's the one where when um, Carrie Carrie and the girls are at her apartment. When um, the wedding fiasco goes down, and Miranda's like, I kind of said something I shouldn't have, and Charlotte's the one who says, "You don't tell her right now. You let you know. You let her grieve. You let her get over this. Don't upset her any more than she already is." So Charlotte, kind of to me, was the kind of mother hen character. In this. But she didn't have a good plot line. She didn't. I'm hoping uh, from the previews I've seen, she she, she might have one in the next movie from some of the previews and reviews I've heard. She might have one in the next movie, kind of like dealing with the whole motherhood with two kids and stuff. And to me, having two kids, that makes sense. She might have a meteor, but she didn't have anything more than just kind of being the mother hand and kind of being that stabling force for the group. like at the We'll get to it at the end, but when Samantha asked her, are you happy?, you know that you know if you're not happy then that's okay you go through a phase and Charlotte's kind of like no no this is how it really is so to me that was her purpose in it she was kind of that well, mother I, mother stable figure
0: I I only give you what I took from from this okay we've got two mothers in this film all uh-huh. right Miranda and and Charlotte uh-huh. and and I think this is an old, contrived plot device. And I don't know this is what they're going for. I'm just telling you, this is what I took from it, okay? Okay. The working mom doesn't feel satisfied because she doesn't get enough time for herself or her husband or for her kid. Charlotte, who's not working from what I took in the film, is the stable, sane saint of the group. And I'll tell you, I'm not a woman. I was sort of offended by that. I kind of well, thought, are, are, I, are we still still pushing that out there? And I don't know that that was the purpose, but I took that away from this as a side piece of the story is that we there's there's some old there's some old sexism still out there that's I mean, even prevalent in the in the biggest chick flick of all time.
2: Oh, um, first off, I will give you a gold star because I didn't even pick up on that. So good job, Jake. But I didn't pick up on that. It is you're right, it is sexist and in the real world I get completely offended by that and I'm I'm like, I don't know what's wrong with these women. They're unambitious and there's nothing wrong with staying home with your mom. It's just like I say, the liberal in me coming out, I'm like, what's wrong with these people? People work <laughs> – We work, women have worked so long to be able to do this, and we don't make as much money as well, men. I can't but, believe they do that.
0: Before we go any further with, with holding sections of the city up as feminist uh, propaganda, we should probably stop. Because it, it's, uh, you know, one look at the Samantha character, and we kind of destroy, you know, 80 years of progress. So, because uh, cause she is – I think you described her best as the oversexed vixen of, of oh, the yeah. That is her all the way, and I want to tell you, Kim Cattrall's made a career out of that character. She even played that as a Vulcan in a Star Trek movie once. It, it's very weird, and there's a really awkward mind meld scene between her and Leonard Nimoy, who's who could be her great grandfather if you did the math right. Uh, I, I mean, it, it go watch if you want to, uh, just go Google that scene. It's it's on uh, YouTube or something, folks, and, and watch that. It's it's awkward and weird. But her face has not changed in 40 years. She plays the same look as she's always played. And I'll give her credit for this. All I knew about her character coming into this was she's the oversexed cougar vixen. And she played that role perfectly. But I thought it was funny that you mentioned they tried to make her monogamous for this film. But she can't ever get up with her TV boyfriend husband because he's always working or, or whatever. So she like watches her neighbors getting it on next door and i'm going to tell you right now i've never actually had that happen to me but if i did my first inclination would not be to stare it would be to turn the curtain uh i don't know about you I-, I found that really weird and awkward maybe that's just me i i took it though as that would be something samantha would get off on and would spend time watching
2: samantha had the funniest lines in this whole movie the botox like that works every time i think she had some of the funniest lines in this movie and um and what one, one part where um he, smith gives her the flower ring and he's like i gotta go to bed i got a 6 a.m shoot i gotta work out and stuff and she's like before you know it we're only gonna be having sex like four times a week and then you know i think she had like some of the funniest funniest lines and then gaining all that weight at the end was just hilarious yeah i think she had some of the li- best lines but if you Watch the very first episode of the series. It, in the very first episode, all of them are together, and it's actually um, Samantha's. God, I don't even know what birthday it is. It's maybe thirty fifth, but she's probably lying. You're watching the you're watching the first episode, and they all just Samantha's the one like, you need to just do like I do. I have sex like a man, and that's supposed to be her character's that she does this really. Unemotional. She's just in it because it feels good and it feels right. And there's one line she says in the show. She says, I'm a trisexual. I'll try anything once. <laughs> she says that. And that's just her. She's just sexually. She's just open and honest. And she's just out there and she sees what she likes and she goes for it. And there are time. And there's towards the middle of the series, Um, she actually got up. Uh, real kind of boyfriend or was in a real relationship and she got her heart broken. And you, that's when you start to see some dip to Samantha, that she's just not this one line takeoff kind of thing. You know, she's not just there to, for well, sexual laughs or something. That,
0: that's what I was going to say. You, you going into this, you, you know, Carrie is going to get the bulk of the really meaty, emotional stuff. Cause this story's about her. This is, yeah. this is about her. You take Miranda and Charlotte as two sides of the mother coin, all right. Uh-huh. But you expect Samantha to just be the comic relief and the and the sex kitten of the film, but she's the one that's actually pretty heartbroken. I mean, uh, Carrie gets pretty heartbroken too. I mean, anybody that gets left at the altar, unlike the men Julia Roberts dumped in, in Runaway Bride, uh, it, she's you know she's going to get heartbroken. But Samantha gets pretty heartbroken here because she's trying to make herself be something that she can't be. Right and, and and you get and there's this running monologue with the, with this and I I don't know if that's part of the show that Carrie narrates everything. Yeah, she
2: does. <laughs> At the beginning of the first first and second season, it was kind of like Ferris Bueller's Day Off. She would talk directly to the camera. Okay. And then like the third season, they started just doing like these her narrating it. Instead okay. Of like telling you what she's thinking.
0: Okay. Well, it, it that that was really really a neat device, by the way, because and they pay it off in the end because she's reading this book at like some. You, you get the idea. She's written a book, and the books have been the basis for the show. And now and this that's book what is
2: she's supposed to be ri- reading in the show. She was reading from her column. Like these okay. episodes were all one of her columns. Okay. And in the in the show, you would see her type like she. Okay.
0: Does. But it's just not this monologue that happens from out of anywhere it pays off to something so you you get the idea of where that's coming from it works really well but there's a lot of sympathy you have a real sympathy for samantha and sort of what she's going through as this woman who's she's away from her best friends and even though she's wildly successful and very good at what she does um and and she's with the you know this gorgeous man and he does wonderful things and is really sweet to her except the fact that he's just never there you know she's missing things in her life. And so you, you really get, it's not what I expected. You know, I expected her to be the throwaway character of the bunch. And like I already said, Charlotte's really the one you can just sort of skip and not pay any attention to it. And, and Miranda's story is neat, but it's not great. You know, you, you really, you really are going to pay attention to Carrie and to Samantha. I want to talk okay. about Car- Carrie's wedding for a little bit. If we can go go ahead, okay. I'll, cut, I'll cut you off. So go ahead.
2: Well, no, that's fine. I was just going to say that Carrie and Samantha in the show, you didn't go to see Charlotte and Miranda. You watched the show to see Carrie and Samantha. Okay. In the show, and the, I mean, and that's my experience. And Miranda and Charlotte have had some good lines. Charlotte, I think, in the show had some of the most relatable. She and Miranda probably had the most relatable, relatable lines, like they do in the movie. But they were always kind of in the background you watched to see what was going to happen to Carrie what was going to happen to Samantha whether it was who Samantha was going to do next or whether if Carrie and Big or Carrie and Aiden that's what you watch for and Miranda and Charlotte were just kind of the supporting players and it kind of pulls
0: over to the movie as well I I, I get that now, and I can see how that that would work. I want to talk about Carrie and and Big's wedding and sort of how that that goes. Now, that thing starts as, like you said, it's going to be small, it's going to be simple. She buys this classic sort of Audrey Hepburn dress, and her friends are like, oh, don't you want something more lavish? And she says, no, 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 it's going to be simple, we're not going to do this big all-out thing. She goes along, people find out about it, and she... Uh, becomes mo- a model for a photo shoot in Vogue, and she gets all these great dresses. And I, I don't know if it's Vera Wang or somebody else, like, gives her the dress.
2: Yeah, it's uh, Vivian Westwood.
0: You know, Vivian Westwood, uh, whom I assume is, is a famous designer. I clearly don't mm-hmm. own any of her clothes. Uh, she, she, um, she gives Carrie this beautiful dress um, because she saw her picture and said, oh, it's you. you know? and, and so this wedding becomes this huge thing. And all along, Big is really, like you said, he's really scared about this wedding. He's apprehensive, and the bigger the wedding gets, the smaller he gets. I thought that was a neat juxtaposition of, you know, you've got this character who's this. I don't know what Big is a reference to. I took it as he's the big man in the room. He's the big chief. He's the big man on campus. Whatever you that's want to. That's exactly
2: it. that's exactly what it's. I, a
0: reference. I kind of took that as that, but at, at this, he is out of his game. And he and I think he knows Carrie is out of what she really wants to, and this has become a corporate big thing that he doesn't want, and it shrinks him down to size, and he he gets scared, and and runs away. And you know we complained about in Runaway Bride, Julia Roberts had no real good reason other than she just didn't match with these guys to not get married to them, so she should have never been engaged to him to begin with. There's no reason, I have no reason to believe these two people shouldn't be together all right just from what i've seen them about him in the first hour and a half of this movie i want them to be together okay but Mm -hmm. but i get why they they both are apprehensive and i get why he has cold feet at the last minute i i felt real sympathy for why he got scared and got spooked at the last minute
2: i would classify this more as a dramedy than, a comp, than like a typical romantic comedy. It's funny, mm-hmm. but it does have some drama in it. But that's what a good... When you have something to work with, and you have good characterization, and you have good actors, and you have... Um, I don't know if Michael Patrick King is the best director, but you got to admit, he knows the characters, and he knows the audience. And oh, yeah, he, yeah. He delivers and gives them what they want. Mm-hmm. So I think when you have that, the audience will... You can make your audience feel what they're supposed to versus something like Runaway Bride where, where they don't have anything to work with. Post, you're supposed to. And I feel, and watching the show, Big has, Big and Carrie are kind of like these star-crossed lovers. Like, she gets in relationships. They go back and forth. They They break, and she makes a reference to it the night before the wedding when she's at Charlotte's. And Charlotte's like, I knew she'd always end up with Big. And one of them's Carrier Samantha says, Oh, after the first breakup. And Miranda goes, And Charlotte's like, Yes. And Miranda goes after the 15th. And she's like, Yes, I knew she'd always end up with him. Kind of this perpetual commitment phobe, kind of.
0: Well, let let me ask you this. It, was that a big like fan service at the end of the show that they wound up together? Was that what everybody wanted as a fan of the show? Is that what you wanted?
2: Yes, because they – and I think it says it best. My mom recently has too much time on her hands, and she's now watching <laughs> 16 and Pregnant on MTV. So it, anyway, I got her watching Sex in the City, and she borrowed my DVDs and stuff. And at first, when this first came out, she like, "I don't like this I don't like the music, the language, and I don't like this and mm-hmm. she actually got to watch it. she's like, "Oh, it's really good, I want to see what happens next and um in the series um which he's in the second movie, John Corbett plays her boyfriend Aiden, and they were actually she he was actually engaged to Carrie for a little while, and my mom's like, "I just wondered what on earth." would make her not want to marry John Corbett, but she watched it all the way through. and She's like, she belongs with big. They mm-hmm. are together. They belong together. And people are so passionate about this show that I've heard people say like, I can't believe she broke up with a like it's their like somebody they know like their sister or something. See, I well, can,
0: I I can relate to this as as a fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer that show. Uh-huh. You you always want Buffy to wind up with Angel, even though she has this whole relationship with Riley and Spike and these other men and stuff. You, you really want her to wind up with with Angel, play you know David Boreanaz. You want that that to happen. So I can I can relate on that level of there there are these two people you want together. I guess that's not a great example, though, in the end, because they will kill each other if they're together, Buffy and Angel. But, but anyway, uh, yeah, you kind of want those people together. They're your star-crossed lovers, if you will. They're the yeah. Romeo and Juliet of some sort. And it, it works on that level. It, the wedding, of course, it falls apart. He can't get up with her. He, he changes his mind at the last minute, but she's already pulling away in the limo. He can't catch up to her. She goes with the girlfriends to Mexico. There's a lot of hilarity ensuing. To me, this, this was an interesting point in the film because we're at a length now where most films end, all right? Most romantic comedies end around the 90 to 100-minute mark, all right? This one (laughs) is about to go into overdrive. They get back to New York, and we're going to introduce an entirely new character, Louise, played by Jennifer Hudson, who a lot of you will know from Dreamgirls and from American Idol and stuff like that. I want to tell you. I never really paid attention to her at all. Much I loved her in this. She was wonderful in this movie. She, she was, was, abs- was. great in this.
2: I was um, curious about when I heard they were casting her in it. I'm like, <laughs> oh god! And she was. She did a wonder. She did a wonderful job. She was kind of there to pick up the pieces and kind of shove Carrie in the right direction, which is ironic because she was younger. They she's younger. Here's this twenty year old something like. Okay, me. your website to mess. Let me do it. Okay, you don't want to get emails from this guy, so she puts it in spam. Okay, you need a phone. Here's your phone. And Carrie's just kind of like going through life and this, this kind of days of being brokenhearted and stuff. And this girl's like, okay, you got to get in the real world. Here's your phone. Here's your computer. You know, let's decorate your apartment. Let's get that book out here's your mail. You got to answer your fan mail. And she's kind of shoving, you know, kind of helping Carrie go through the motions and get to the other end of the tunnel. But she's this 20 year old and Carrie's this 40
0: year old. Well, you know, K- Carrie and Miranda have this big falling out. Cause Miranda confesses about the, the fight she had with big, uh-huh. uh, uh, at the rehearsal dinner. And, and Miranda then starts to pick up the pieces of her life with Steve. They go to counseling. They start working through their problems. Samantha, yeah goes through her arc leaves california comes back to new york breaks up with her friend you start getting the band back together okay they even give charlotte a little something to do they give her anxiety over the baby because you yeah, know my life's too perfect something's going to go wrong uh, again we both have commented that kind of felt forced and weird but whatever it's there it works you know but but you start to see everybody starting to put their lives back together and and i think it's funny that the way they start putting their lives back together is they have to go back to what they were at the beginning of this film or or even in the show, they all have to be in the same city together around the same places, doing the same things that they, they need to get back into their routine. I felt like this, the movie was taking us back to maybe something that was in the show that, that we have to get these people back to where they were, where they're comfortable so we can move them forward. Was that what was going on?
2: I mean, Samantha did not belong in Los Angeles with, you know, being in a monogamous relationship, she, that is not her. And I think she makes a con a comment in it. How can I keep myself from doing something that feels so natural to me? And that's what it is. This constant string of men and wild sex is what is natural. <laughs> to Samantha. I know it sounds really stupid, but it actually, I, I know it sounds unrealistic and stupid, but it actually works this, And Samantha, and another thing, I don't know if I liked it or didn't like it, but if you watch the show, this is not the Samantha character. Samantha is a very powerful and very confident woman who, I mean, I can go on and on about scenes from the show. She runs her own business. She was very like a self-made person. She just, she was very strong and very confident. And there's even a line in the very first episode that says, um, Samantha had the where Carrie's doing the voiceover and she says Samantha had the deluded self-confidence to go after any man she wanted and it usually got her what she wanted. And she's just was this person, this go-getter. And that is not the Samantha in this movie. The Samantha in this movie is just kind of lost and she's not herself for anything and i think that's one thing with the samantha character and she says in the end when she's talking to smith she's like well i've been in a relationship with you for five but i've been in a relationship with myself for 49 years and it sounds kind of selfish but she's she's got to get back to that because that's not her l the la and a monogamous relationship is just not samantha and it's not natural to her
0: and, and and they play that really well. Again, like they said, they've they've played that they've played this against what I expected from all the characters, and it, it makes it engaging and interesting even to somebody didn't watch the show. I've already talked about Louise Jen, Jennifer Hudson's character, and, and she actually plays a very important role in this because Carrie says to her in sort of this drop line about I don't want to you know ever talk to Big again or something like that. She kind of filters out all communication from him, and and we learn through some odd circumstances that he's been writing her these recopied love letters from this book that she was reading to him in bed earlier in the film. And he's been okay. sending her email and he writes her this great apology letter. And she, you know, that's been kept from her and she finds out about it. I, I want to tell you, I liked the, the way they played that about the way she reacted from that, because you know, the, the, the standard thing to do is she's going to throw Louise out the third floor window, Right. But she doesn't really. And I like the way they played that. And we should say that we interweave Charlotte's pregnancy with Big here because she runs into him at a restaurant. They have an argument. She goes into labor. He winds up taking her to the hospital. I thought I, – I, I want to tell you how I felt that was, and I didn't think they needed it because, I, like I told you, I felt sorry for this guy already. You know, uh-huh. I liked him. I, I understood where he was coming from. But I think they gave him that to do to win him back to people that are going to go, oh, he you know, did Carrie wrong. She can never love him again. You give him a redeeming moment, you know, but you don't let it pay off in the hospital because the, the contrite Gary Marshall thing to do is Carrie runs into the hospital. They googly eye at each other and the movie ends they don't pay it off right there and i like that i like the fact that they that it was real i'll tell her you know you want to get in touch with her and then we move to the part where she starts finding the letters and she finds the one where it's a, his big apology i like the way that progressed to get those two people back together
2: oh yeah and it goes back to the series where they've had this cat and mouse game the star-crossed lovers thing like and there it also goes back to a thing If you realize in the whole second half of the movie, even when Miranda tells her and Carrie makes a comment, she's like, I have been going over this in my mind trying to figure out what I did wrong. Carrie has sabotaged her relationship with Big so many times just by overthinking stuff. You know, it's mm-hmm. one of those things you got as a one. And I have a coworker that does this. And I try to tell her, I'm like, look, men are not that complicated. She's like, what if he's thinking this? What if he wants to do this? I'm like, no. I said, it's almost like the Jeff Foxworthy thing where Jeff Foxworthy says, I can tell you what a man's thinking. He's thinking I'm hungry and I want to see something naked. <laughs> I mean, you know, mm-hmm. you know, uh, or I want a beer and I want to see somebody naked. Uh, but I mean, it's just. It's that men aren't that complicated. Carrie over analyzes everything, and that's one of the things, and why she's the central character. is She takes like at the very beginning, all this started when Miranda's like, "Oh, so you're not gonna get rid of your, you're gonna get rid of your apartment, or you're gonna keep your apartment, and you got to do this and that." When if she just let it go and let Big pay for the apartment and kept her apartment for whatever reason or done something like that, and not done this whole wedding thing, none of this ever would have happened. But she kind of takes in what everybody says, and kind of overanalyzes it. And not only her relationship with Big, but her relationship with other people throughout the series. She overanalyzes this stuff, and gets all these inputs, and is like, and it just totally, like, she just totally winds up sabotaging the whole relationship. And that's kind of her calling card and that's and she's done it so many times with big it's not even funny so why would this be any different
0: okay so see i didn't i didn't know the whole character history so that's paying off something again it's it's fan service again we're paying off something that we've set up for years for you it's all Mm going to culminate now anyway she winds up going back to the uh, the big apartment that they had bought together. We should have mentioned he had remodeled the whole thing for her because uh, my wife and I were watching this apartment going, God, that looks gorgeous, and my wife said, I bet the closets are small, and that's sort of a running joke that he builds her this enormous, gorgeous closet in there. She leaves a pair of, I assume these are really important shoes because I don't understand the designer names again. It's a language I, I don't get. They're speaking languages, I don't know. But she goes back to get this pair of shoes and she finds him in that closet holding these shoes and you can tell the man's heartbroken and she runs to him and they kiss and they make up and he proposes to her with the shoe, which I thought was hilarious. And they, they basically go to city hall to get married. And I I thought that was great. It was perfect.
2: It was, it was good, and if, I was just thinking, if we have learned anything from this movie, it is that Michael Patrick King tells a more effective story than Gary Marshall. I think,
0: I think that is that should go without saying, but yes, absolutely, it is, this is, it's the ending you want, but we get there in a smart, efficient, cool way, and of course, he does the, the big thing, he whispers this great line in her ear that's from one of the poems, And the film ends with the four of them sitting around drinking Cosmos, which I'll tell you, my meta-knowledge of the show was, aren't these four women sitting around a bar a lot? And yes, they are. And they're sitting around drinking, and it's Samantha's 50th birthday, and they make a big toast, and that's the end of the film. It's really uplifting, it's very satisfying, but it doesn't feel contrived in any way. And I want to make that point. At no point did I feel like this movie was, was out of line with where it was going.
2: Well, one of the reasons that might be is because unlike other movies where they're just picking up these characters, these people and the writers, the director and the actors and actresses have had these characters for, uh, you know, 10 years. The show started in 1998 and they've been with these characters for 10 years and they know these characters. And I think I mean, the, I feel like the characters are almost part of themselves. And they'll say in interviews, like Kristen Davis will say, I'm not the goody two-shoes that Charlotte is. I'm really, you know, I'm really this down-to-earth girl. You know, I'm not into catching a husband, which she's just, she's like, I'm not like Charlotte. And I don't know, Kim Cattrall, I think, I don't know either. She's doing a very good job job of trying to keep the Samantha Jones persona out there and trying to convince people that she's like that or I don't know because she's written these weird books on sex she did a documentary on sex that was weird for HBO so I don't know I don't know what Kim Patrall's Patrall's trying to do but anyway and Sarah Jessica Parker I think she's a little bit like Carrie but I don't think she's as neurotic I think she's into the fashion she's into all that but I don't think she's I think she and Carrie like the same things but I don't think she's quite as neurotic as Carrie Bradshaw.
0: Okay. I I would, I would buy that too. This, like I said, we get to the ending here and it just feels, it feels right. We haven't talked about that. We need to talk about the music in this film because we've talked about the music in the other films, the romantic comedies. It's such an important part of this. This is music from a period now. Okay. We've got, we've got modern era People, but we mix it in with some classics, too. You know, we got Walk This Way and Run DMC in the Aerosmith's version. We got a little Al Green with some Stone in there. NDR Reed does this great remake of one of my favorite Don Henley songs, Heart of the Matter. It's beautiful. Uh, We got an artist in there I really like named Duffy. Uh, Jennifer Hudson does a song. Fergie does a song. This this soundtrack is solid gold to me. I, I really, really like the music in this film.
2: Well, I'll, I'll let you comment on that because I really didn't pay any attention to the music. <laughs>
0: just, say, right. just, just say you love it, too, and then we're done. I love so. it, too. <laughs> I
2: yeah. love it, too. It was great. Yeah, I, I do like the Fergie song, and I did notice, as a homage to the um, television show, when Samantha's watching her neighbor... The song you hear—I think that's where I heard it. The song you hear in the background, and I heard it a lot with Samantha is the old thing, is the theme song to the television show. It's
0: it's a it's a cute little cue. Like I said, I like the music in this thing. Uh, I, I, everything about it is really good. I I, and I think we know how this one's going to go. But what's your play review for Sex in the City?
2: Oh gosh, it is this is a continuous play Word. play it all the i've watched it three times today so prepare <laughs> so i have it on my iphone and i had it at work with my headphones on listening to it and stuff i had it at the gym today so yeah wa- watch this often i it's just a great show it's wonderful you had no reference to the show jason what did you think about it what do you recommend
0: you know, mine's a two-part recommendation, and I'm going to say this. If you are not a fan of the show and you and you don't think you want to be a fan of the show, you know, this is a once play because this is a good watch, all right? There's stuff in here to like and just enjoy. It's it's smarter than most romantic comedies. It's big in the ensemble cast, but it doesn't have too many things going on where you feel like you got to be taking notes to keep up with it, even though I said I was lost a little bit in it. There's stuff in here to enjoy, all right? If you are a fan of the show, though, this is an, a this is a continuous play all the way. This is a great example of how to do an ensemble cast modern day romantic comedy, and I will go and say that bar none. Now, we haven't really mentioned this about this one. This one shares a distinction from the other three films we reviewed. The other three films we reviewed were PG, PG 13. All right, even though they dealt with some pretty serious things, this is a rated R movie for a reason. Now, and, and there's some stuff in here the kids don't need to see, but I have a feeling the television version of it would probably be safe enough for you to watch. So if you want to avoid that, you can wait till it comes out on on network TV. I'm sure it'll be out soon if, if it hasn't already been played on, on on USA or one of those you know TNT or AMC. One of those channels will will have it eventually. Uh, but yeah, this is this is definitely a watch. Again, if you're not a fan of the show, you don't think you're going to be, it's a once play. If you are a uh, if you are a fan of it, this is a continuous play all the way. I, I won't say this is the best film in the series we've reviewed, but it's right up there. This is a very good film, and I had no connection to any of this beforehand, and I walked away from it wanting to know more about the show, wanting to know more about the characters. So, so it worked on that oh, level.
2: Good, and you can learn more if you watch <laughs> the second movie coming out Memorial Day weekend. I'll give it a lot
0: of Indeed, yeah, I know you'll be there, and uh, we we might have to. Tag another episode onto our romantic comedy retrospective. We're at the end of our, our four part retrospective here, Anna. And, and I kind of uh, clipped it away there just a little bit. Best film of the four that we watched Pretty Woman, While You Were Sleeping, Runaway Bride, or Sex in the City?
2: I would say Pretty Woman because I think Pretty Woman is a precursor to Sex in the City. I think if there was no Pretty Woman, there would be no Sex in the City. I, th- I personally think because I think. Pretty Woman and the Vivian Ward character and the way Julia Roberts played her just, you know, kind of opened the door for very strong female characters. because Even though she was a prostitute, she was a very strong character and she was a very good character and a meaty character for women. So, and as a huge fan of the show, I love Sex in the City, so that's great. And While You Were Sleeping is a cute Sandra Bullock vehicle. It's her cutting her acting chops on On that and cutting the romantic comedy chops that we really love in some of her later movies like Miss Congeniality and stuff and then just Runaway Bride is just a disaster. So that's what I have to say (laughs) about that.
0: I would agree with you that Pretty Woman is is a linchpin film for romantic comedies. Romantic comedies have been around since silent movies, y'all. They they always have been, okay, and and they will always exist in some form or another. That one is very important. That is a great film. I'd hold Sex and the City up there with it. I think you could even watch those two as a twofer and and get your fill, even if you're not a fan of the show or, or stuff like that, and maybe not even a fan of these, but you just you know you're going on a date or you want to watch some with your with your significant other there are two that can work for you while you were sleeping is a cute movie i wouldn't go out of my way to see it necessarily though i do like it i think i gave it a continuous play rating it's a good movie to watch but the pretty woman to me is the best one of the ones we've reviewed but hey there are a billion other ones and we know there are that's why we want you to visit our website continuousplaypodcast.com look our webmaster brian puts a lot of work into that go on there go on our forums and leave a message about, hey, why don't you guys review this, or what do you think about this, or disagree with something we've said, or agree with what we said. We like that, too. Go visit our website, and if you download us from iTunes or Zoom, hey, throw us a review up there. We really appreciate it. We don't do this for money. We just do this for fun, and we hope you've enjoyed our romantic comedy retrospective. Next, folks, we've got a big, big fun ride. It's summertime, and when you think summertime, you got to think of a big movie that's a big ride. Anna and I are going to do something a little different here as we begin summer the kids are getting out of school and it's a big fan of animated films we've talked about that throughout these podcasts we're going to do a twofer where it's people in tunes tunes and people mary poppins and who framed roger rabbit that's going to be our next series coming out in june for you please tune in and check us out again until next time i'm jay newcastle for Anna mccoy thanks for tuning in to continuous play podcast
1: Thank you for listening to Continuous Play's Romantic Comedy Retrospective. ContinuousPlayPodcast.com and Continuous Play are not affiliated with any movie, television, book, music, or publishing-related company. All properties are copyright and trademark of their respective owners, and all rights are reserved. Check out our other retrospectives on ContinuousPlayPodcast.com and leave us a message in our forums or a review on iTunes or Zoom.